0: Welcome to Frontline Church, South Oklahoma City's podcast page, where each week we will upload a new sermon uh, from our current sermon series that we're in. If you have uh, any questions, concerns, um, or have a prayer request or need, you can email us at hello at frontlinechurch.com or visit our website, south.frontlinechurch.com. Thanks. Thanks.
1: The scripture for today's sermon is from 1 Corinthians 12, 1 through 7. The Word of God speaks to us. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray by mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God Ever says Jesus is accursed, and no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. This is God's word to us.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Suzanne. Appreciate it. You guys can grab a seat. Hey, good morning, guys. It's good to be with you this morning. Thanks for uh, gathering with us. If we've not had the chance to meet, my name is Andrew. And uh, I'd love to meet you after the service and personally do anything I can to help you get connected to the life of the church. So it's good to have you with us. It was also pretty fun and amazing to watch the parents show such restraint while their kids are going buck wild up here. And I don't know why I just had this memory of my mom who's like the sweetest lady ever. But I'm one of 10. I just have this memory of my mom back when uh, the telephone had like, you know, a cord that attached to the wall, and we'd be freaking out, and she'd be like, I will destroy you. And then the phone would ring and she's like, hello, and would shift. And so these parents shut, you know, showed such restraint like that earlier where you could tell the like, I will destroy you, wanted to come out, and they didn't do it. So good job. Um, hey, I want to give you a quick update before we jump into First Corinthians 12. Uh, This last week, we were able to host around 35 different churches were represented, 35 different pastors and leaders from literally all over the world, and it was a really, really significant time, so I want to thank you for your prayers. We had a group from Frontline South that was literally praying 24 hours a day during this event, throughout this event. And we basically spent most of our time worshiping and praying together. We had our friends in from uh, Mumbai, India. We had friends in from uh, Cornerstone Church in Liverpool, England. Uh, We had people coming in from Iowa and North Carolina and L.A. and Missouri and driving in from all over. And these are some of the churches that we are in close, close partnership with, doing a lot of gospel ministry together. And it was just a fun time for us to spend a lot of time praying for each other, uh, getting prophetic words for one another, uh, really doing some training. But a lot of it was just worship and prayer. And uh, it was a time for us as a church where we're trying to grapple with whatever grace that God has given frontline, uh, we want to steward that well. And for us, the goal is not to like uh, create some big network. That's like a big tent network with a lot of different churches. What we're really after is what does it look like to fight for deep communion and partnership with a few churches? How can we go deep with a few people that uh, theologically land where we land, see philosophically things similar to how we see things, and then do some really good work together, and that's what this week was all about. So, just want to say thank you for your prayers. Thank you for uh, helping to give a lot of as you get, as you're giving, like your your funding and resourcing these guys as training is happening. So that's a big deal. Um, hey, I want to I want to pray for us before we jump in because we're getting back into our series on First Corinthians. Uh, this this marks the twenty fourth week as we've taken this letter that Paul has written to the Corinthians, and we're just kind of working our way verse by verse through it, and we find ourselves in a really interesting chapter, chapter 12. So I want to pray for us, and then we'll jump in. Sound good? Cool. Wow. Real cool, guys. Yeah. get more coffee between now and when I say amen. You ready? All right. Father, thank you for the gift that it is to gather. Thank you for the joy to sit under your word. We thank you for the gift of the Holy Spirit. Wake my friends up. They apparently need it. And I pray that you would uh, just allow us to enjoy sitting under the word together, enjoy uh, being family. It's crazy that we were one time enemies, not only of each other, but of you. And here we are, here we sit as brothers and sisters that have been adopted by the blood of Jesus. We pray that that would shape us today, that we would experience the the joy of being family. And Holy Spirit, for all that you have for your church, we say, yes, please, we want it. We want all that you have. We pray that you would give us more of your grace, more of your presence, more of your power. pray these things in your name, amen. What immediately comes to your mind when I say the phrase charismatic church? What's the first thing that comes to your mind? Uh, Maybe different for you, but for me, here are some of the images that come to my mind because of how I grew up. Uh, If you you haven't seen this on YouTube, I've said it before, you've got to do it. Today at some point, type in Benny Hinn, let the bodies hit the floor. It's unbelievable. He takes his jacket, it's to the song, people are flying across the stage. It's just, it's hilarious. It's great. It's great. Uh, Here's another thing that would come to my mind when I think of charismatic church. You know, you walk in on a Sunday morning and it is buck wild. People are, you know, flopping around on the ground like trout. On a dock, and you're just like, this is how is this orderly? How is this of God? This is freaking me out, right? Are these people sane? I don't think so. And then an- another image, maybe if you're more old school, uh, this count comes to mind, right? Big hair, lots of makeup, 37 offerings being taken up to fund their ministry and, you know, sow a seed and blah, blah, blah. Like th- these are some of the images that came to my mind uh, because of the way that I grew up. I-, I associated being a charismatic with being a little bit weird, uh, being a little bit out of control or a lot of out of control and uh, being driven by sensational emotionalism. Uh, Others of you, when you think of what it means to be a charismatic church, none of these things come to mind. For you, 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 you you remember like powerful times of prayer in the church or you remember crying out to God in times of worship with tears streaming down your face or you remember those times where people are laying hands on others and literally watching the sick being miraculously healed. And for you, like the thought of being a charismatic church brings a lot of joy. It brings a lot of excitement, right? Now, just to help me out, just to kind of help me know kind of what I'm dealing with here. If you grew up inside, now I know that not everybody grew up in church. Some of you did not grow up in church at all. And we're just glad that you're here. Maybe this is your first time back in church after being gone for a long time. We love that you're here. But for those of you who grew up in church and you would say that you grew up in a church that was absolutely not charismatic, uh, would you just raise your hand so that I could see? Figured. I figured that'd be the case, most of us. Uh, how many of you would say, I grew up in a church that, yeah, we were, we were the charismatic church. Yeah, we, 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 we hear you. We know that you're there because you raise your hands in worship. Thank you for doing that. Um, here's what's happened tragically because of the way that a lot of us grew up, is that there's been a theological divorce that's taken place in the church, where you've got the Bible-honoring churches on the one end of the spectrum, and you've got the Spirit-filled churches on the other end of the spectrum, and these two worlds cannot coexist. They cannot collide together under any circumstances, and the implication often is that if you want to be a part of a Bible-honoring church, then you're going to love theology and doctrine and reading big books and studying deep, profound things of God and really being intellectual, but the concern will be that you'll become an egghead, brains on a stick, no passion. In fact, the more you learn, the more your passion and zeal will be snuffed out. That's often what's taught. On the other end is the Spirit-filled churches. And the assumption there is that we're going to love the Holy Spirit. We're going to desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit and long for His presence and actually believe that God is alive in Christ and that He's breaking His kingdom into this world. But the assumption there often is that if you really do love the Holy Spirit and pursue the gifts passionately, that it's going to lead to emotionalism or sensationalism or being driven into chaos and disorder at every level. And I just want to say that actually what God has joined together, let no man separate. That the, the, the Bible-honoring churches and the Spirit-filled churches not only should not be disconnected, but God never intended for them to be disconnected. And if you're truly going to be a Bible-honoring church, you necessarily will have to be a church that's pursuing the work Of the Holy Spirit. So, what I want to do starting today as we get into this text in 1 Corinthians 12 over the next nine weeks is I want to fight for a reconciliation between word and spirit. I want to show you the significance and the power and the ongoing activity of God the Holy Spirit, specifically through the gifts. What we're looking at in 1 Corinthians 12 through 14 is the most robust, thick theology that we have of the gifts of the Holy Spirit in the entire scriptures. There's a lot that the Bible says about the Holy Spirit. The Bible has some things to say about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in various places, but this text in particular, chapters 12 through 14, is certainly the most robust teaching on the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so let me just kind of go to some of the tensions that I think are in the room before we dig into these verses together. The first tension that I think that we need to acknowledge is that some of us, some of us are carrying pain around abuse and misuse of the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And I don't want to minimize that. I actually think that there's people in the room that have really sad stories. I know some of your stories, really sad, heartbreaking stories of how you've seen all of this go really not only wild, but bad. And it's been hurtful. And I want to say to you, first of all, I'm sorry that that's happened, and I can relate. I've been hurt as well by certain teachings around the gifts of the Holy Spirit and the way that that has been abused and misused. In fact, I would say that I've been hurt by church pastors and church leaders and Christians and the church, and basically every person that's ever existed has the potential of hurting me. And that's not to minimize the hurt, but it is to say, I want to invite you to do the hard work to separate out your past bad experiences from what the Bible actually says, Friends, can we just acknowledge just because we've been hurt doesn't mean we get to throw this out as well. You actually have to resist the cultural urge to cancel everything that's ever caused you pain and wrestle with what does the Bible actually teach here, right? So that's the first tension is, yeah, there's been some hurt here, but what does the Bible actually teach? The second thing that I want to say is that I, I get and I understand that not all of you are biblically convinced that the gifts continue to, to exist in our world today. Uh, there's a teaching called cessationism that essentially teaches that the gifts of the Holy Spirit has ceased. Uh, when the apostles died out, the gifts of the Holy Spirit died out, or when the canon of scripture was completed, the gifts of the Holy Spirit ceased as well. And what I've found, and this is not to uh, overcharacterize this group of people, but what I've found is that often, the case, often what's the case with these, with these groups of people that don't believe the gifts is not because of a robust theology of what the Bible actually says as much as just assumptions that this stuff stopped a long time ago. And I want to challenge those assumptions. I actually want to say that we as a church believe that... Um, All of the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue to exist and, in fact, will not cease until the final return of Jesus when he brings heaven to earth and makes all things new. That we actually believe that everything you read about in the book of Acts continues to happen even in our world today and will continue to happen until Jesus comes back. And if you're convinced theologically you've done your homework, you're actually convinced that these things don't exist... I'm gonna pray and hope that we convince you otherwise over the next nine weeks. And, and, and though we will, for the first few weeks, be assuming that the gifts of the Holy Spirit continue to exist, in about six weeks or so, we will do a whole sermon on why we believe that these gifts have not ceased. We'll do a whole sermon on Here's our theology of why we actually believe, based out of something that Paul says in First Corinthians 13. So you can be looking forward to that, and I'll share at the end of the sermon some resources for ways that you can go deeper. But suffice it to say that over the next nine weeks, we're going to be unpacking and slowly working our way through First Corinthians 12 all the way through verse 14. I'm excited about this. I hope it'll be a blessing to you. So without further ado, let's jump in. First Corinthians chapter 12. Look at verse 1. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brothers or brothers and sisters, I do not want you to be uninformed. Here's what's really interesting about this line. There's something that you need to see here that sometimes gets lost in our translations. If you're reading out of the ESV translation, there's a footnote here, but other translations are going to read something a little bit different, where it says, now concerning spiritual gifts, that word spiritual gifts in Greek is actually the word pneumatikos, and that word pneumatikos does not mean gifts as much as it means spiritual people. So what Paul was saying here is now concerning the spirituals or the spiritual people. And here's why this is a big deal, because this idea of being a spiritual person was a loaded concept in Corinth. It was loaded. In fact, they had three categories of people in Corinth. The first category was the people who are the truly spiritual ones. And what they meant by that was that they are the elite Christians, They're the the top of the spectrum Christians, that they're the ones that are the most mature, most spiritual, if you will. And what was specifically happening in this context in 1 Corinthians 12 is that these Christians were actually assuming because they operated in the more demonstrative spiritual gifts, the more miraculous supernatural gifts, if you will, uh, specifically the gift of praying in tongues, that they felt like they were on a level higher than just your average Christians, right? We pray in tongues, so we're the truly spiritual ones. That was category one. Category two was the other Christians that were just the normal Christians, right? They're not the spiritual Christians, they're just the average normal Christians. And then category 3 was people who are far from God, people who are lost, people who weren't followers of Jesus at all. So in Corinth at the time, there were these three different categories and there was a lot of division and infighting between these categories where those in that quote-unquote first category because they prayed in tongues looked down on the other believers. And so what Paul is addressing here is not spiritual gifts as much as he's addressing what it means to truly be spiritual. Notice what Paul goes on to say. Look at verse 2. He says, "...you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led." I love that Paul says that. This is sort of a loving jab. He was like, hey, don't forget that you were once pagan idiots, is basically what he's saying. That you were just kind of led astray and worshiping other gods and doing whatever. Like, don't forget that it wasn't that long ago when you weren't very spiritually smart yourself. You were worshiping mute idols, right? That's what he's saying. And then he says this in verse 3. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the Spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. True spirituality is actually about confessing Jesus as Lord. I, I love a- Paul does here is he takes this argument about these three different types of people, the truly spiritual ones, then the average Joe, normal Christians, then the people who are lost and far from God. And he blows that all up and he says, actually there are only two categories of people. There's those who are dead in their sin and those who are alive to God. And and the only difference between the two is that God has, through the Holy Spirit, graciously revealed the work of the Son and the hearts of people, causing their dead heart to come alive and therefore there are certain people who now by the Holy Spirit are saying, Jesus is Lord. And if you can say that confession, that Jesus is Lord, which in the first century was a significant confession, instead of Caesar is Lord, you're saying, Jesus is Lord. You're building your life on him. You're trusting him. You're following him. If you can say that, you're the truly spiritual people. I love this. What Paul is blowing up is just because you pray in tongues doesn't mean that you're on another class or another category of Christian. The only thing that makes you truly spiritual is the confession, Jesus is Lord, right? In our culture, it's really common to say, well, I'm spiritual, but not religious. And Paul would say, no, actually you're religious, but you're not truly spiritual, The only thing that makes you truly spiritual is the confession that Jesus is Lord. Now you have the Holy Spirit of God literally living inside of you because of that confession. Notice what Gordon Fee says in his amazing commentary. He says, The presence of the Spirit in power and gifts makes it easy for God's people to think of the power and gifts as the real evidence of the Spirit's presence. Not so for Paul the ultimate criterion of the Spirit's activity is the exaltation of Jesus as Lord. Whatever takes away from that, even if they be legitimate expressions of the Spirit, begins to move away from Christ to a more pagan fascination with spiritual activity as an end in itself. Friends, if you're here and you say Jesus is Lord, you're truly spiritual in the very truest sense of the word. That's what Paul's saying. Right? Now, sadly, what happens is that a lot of Christians and certain theologians and pastors want to just stop there. Go, Jesus is what makes us truly spiritual, so we don't need to have any further conversation. And yet Paul doesn't do that. Notice where he goes on in the conversation in verse four. He says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit, and there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. Here's the second thing I want you to see. is that spiritual gifts display God's beauty in both unity and diversity. That spiritual gifts actually put on display God's beauty in both unity and and in diversity. Did you notice Paul's uh, fairly explicit allusion to the Trinity in these verses? He's actually trying to apply some trinitarian logic to how we approach the gifts of the Holy Spirit. He says there's varieties of gifts and services and activities, but it's the same spirit, the same Lord Christ, and the same God the Father. He's actually pointing to the Trinity and he's saying, think about God the Trinity and that's going to help you understand a bit about the unity and the diversity of the way that gifts of the Holy Spirit work. God the Trinity, one God who has eternally existed in three distinct particular persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The the Father's not the Son and the Son is not the Spirit and the Spirit's not the Father, but there's not three gods, there's only one, right? Right? And yet, what's fascinating is this one God, who is one God distinctly and particularly is working in our salvation and bringing his kingdom very specifically in ways that are different from Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but unified together. So the Father elects us, the Son redeems us, and the Holy Spirit regenerates us. The Father chooses us, the Son comes and lives, dies, and rises for us, and the Spirit shows up and makes our dead hearts come alive. It's one God and three distinct persons all cooperating together in diverse but unified unified ways for our salvation. And what Paul was saying is think about that and that'll help you understand the unity and diversity of how spiritual gifts work. So therefore, there are two truths that you and I need to hold in tension when we think about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and their unity and diversity. The first one is this, and I can't emphasize this enough. There's only one category of Christian saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ that's it. It doesn't matter if you're born in church or not. It doesn't matter if you've been following Jesus for 50 years or 50 seconds. It doesn't matter if you've read big theological books or you can't read at all. It doesn't matter your age, your gender, your ethnicity, your background, your wealth, what you've made of yourself, who you are. None of that matters. If you are saved by grace, you're in. Like, there's no meritocracy in the kingdom of God. There's not a VIP section. There's only one VIP in the kingdom of God, and it's King Jesus, and we're only there because he said we could be there. And that's it. Like, you need to get this, that some of you, you think, well, I I don't belong, or I don't know as much as that person, or I'm not as... you're in, man. If you love Jesus, you're in. That's all there is to it. Yeah, it's great to grow in maturity. Yes, we should care about doctrine. Yeah, we should read and study and grow and form our lives around Christ. But if you love Jesus, if your heart has been made alive, you are a follower of Jesus, and and you actually matter as much as Mother Teresa or Charles Spurgeon, right? Like, you matter to the kingdom of God. You're in. It's only one category of Christian. That's good news, by the way. Like it's, I, Some of you, like you're oh, like, I'm not charismatic yet, so I can't applaud. You still have to prove it, all right? Well, it's, it's okay to celebrate truth, all right? So here's the second truth that we need to hold in tension. The second one is this, that there's a wide range of diversity within the church. There's actually a wide range of diversity. One category of Christian, saved by grace through faith in Christ, but wildly diverse in background, in education, in experience, And expertise and gifting. Hey, this is something that millennials on down is hard to hear. But you are not as gifted as certain people in the world. You're actually not. Like, stop going to your doctor, having read three blogs, thinking that you know more than the person who spent eight years of their life studying something. Just because you read blogs doesn't mean, like, the death of the expert is a real thing in our culture. There actually are experts. There actually are people who know more than you. There actually are people who are more mature. There are people who are more gifted. Stop acting like just because you're a Christian that you have all that there is to have a ver- no, there's people who are walking around who are profoundly more gifted and more diverse and all of that. And what I love about this is think about the diversity of the Trinity and the unity of the Trinity. And Paul is saying, that's how this whole thing works. That we're actually this body that has many members, and Paul's going to go on to unpack that, that you have eyes and feet and toes and fingers and, and a brain and a heart pumping, and all of the diversity of the body is working in a cohesive, collective way for the benefit of the body. And that's what gifts of the Holy Spirit are in their unity and in their diversity. And this really keeps us from two temptations, two different ditches that we can drive into. On the one hand, gift pride, where we walk around thinking, I'm the most gifted person there is. Look how grateful everybody should be to have me around. And then on the other end, it's gift envy. Man, if only I could sing like that. If only I could teach like that, if only I could lead like that, if only I could do the things that that person does, if only I could have prophetic words like that, or like whatever it is. Gift pride and gift envy, friends, you belong to the kingdom of God and you've been, in a very diverse, intentional way, gifted by God for the benefit of the body and for the world. That leads me to the third thing that I want you to see, that spiritual gifts are gifts of God's grace. Look at what Paul says in verse 4. Says now there are a varieties. There are varieties of gifts. Now this is interesting because in verse one Paul uses the Greek word pneumatikos, spiritual people, and verse four and for the rest of the conversation all the way through chapter fourteen he changes the word and the Greek word now becomes the word charisma. Right, it's where we get our word charisma or plural. Charismata, which is where we get our word charismatic, which, by the way, friends, is why I want to fight to use that word. Some of you are like, that's a loaded word. That has baggage. Being a Christian is a loaded term in our culture, right? If we throw out all loaded terms, we're not going to have any terms left. So I want to be a charismatic because that is a biblical word, and it, here, here's, here's what it literally means. It literally means grace gifts. Charis, grace Mata, gifts, right? These are gifts of God's grace or undeserved gifts that God is joyfully pouring out on his church, not because we are worthy of it, but because he's good and he loves to give good gifts. So that leads to two things that I want you to see. First, these are gifts for the undeserving. I've talked to people who are on one level like wrestling with the fact that God could even love them, let alone use them. And I think what I want you to realize is, yeah, you're loved by God, and you're actually so loved by God that he's brought you into the kingdom, and he's not like, now go sit in the corner and don't cause any trouble. But he's like, hey, come on in, and here is a gift of my grace, and I actually want you to use this gift for the benefit and blessing of the church. Friends, you're loved by God, and you're gifted by God, and you don't deserve any of those things, but he's lovingly poured stuff out on you for the good of other people. Isn't that amazing? These are gifts of God's grace for the undeserving. You don't have to be mature. You don't have to be brilliant. You don't have to be intelligent. You don't have to be, you know, really holy even to have the gifts of the Holy Spirit. These are gifts of his grace that don't come to the deserving, but to the undeserving. And the second thing that I want you to see is that we need to be really careful then to not conflate spiritual gifting with spiritual maturity, And this is where a lot of people run into issues. I've talked to a lot of people like, I don't believe in the gifts because there was this really gifted pastor and really gifted leader, and then they had a moral failure, so it's all a hoax. Or then they made some bad leadership decisions, and so therefore it's all fake and it's not real. And I just wanna say, that's not necessarily true, that you cannot and should not conflate spiritual gifting with spiritual maturity. They're just two wildly different things. Do you remember who Paul is writing to? The Corinthian church, and in chapter 1 of 1 Corinthians, he says, I thank God that you're not lacking in any spiritual gift as you eagerly wait for the, for the return of Jesus. What's crazy about that is that there are people in the Corinthian church, there's a guy that was like sleeping with his mother-in-law there, there are Christians that are visiting prostitutes. You have other Christians that are getting drunk at communion and feasting to the detriment of the poor people in their midst. I mean, this is a buckwild, bonkers church, and yet God is like, gifts, 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 get, right? Because these are gifts of grace. So don't think that just because someone is highly gifted that they're also highly mature. Those are absolutely not related at all. So gifting and maturity Two wildly different things. That leads me to the fourth thing that I want you to see, which is spiritual gifts, and this is maybe the most important thing. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Holy Spirit himself. Spiritual gifts are manifestations of the Holy Spirit himself. Look at verse seven. He says, to each is given, to every one of you who is in Christ, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Now think about that language the manifestation of the of the Spirit. So don't think of the gifts of the Holy Spirit as these neatly wrapped packages with a bow on top, like a birthday gift where God is like, here you go, here's a gift. And then you unwrap it and you open it. God's way out there in heaven and here we are opening the gift. That's not how it works. It's not like God is way out there and we're way down here and he's tossing out gifts to us. But actually, here's the reality, that these spiritual gifts are literal manifestations of the Holy Spirit of God himself in our midst. Sam Storms, who is a dear friend of mine, uh, mentored me for several years, has been a significant uh, man and pastor in my life, wrote uh, lots of helpful books, but one of the best on this topic is called The Beginner's Guide to Spiritual Gifts. Recommend everybody to buy that and carefully read that. It's a short little book. He says this, he says, This is Paul's way of saying that the Spirit himself made manifest or visibly evident in our midst whenever the gifts are in use. Spiritual gifts are the presence of the Spirit himself coming to relatively clear, even dramatic expression in the way that we do ministry. Gifts, I love this line, gifts are God going public among his people. This is amazing. When you see someone healed, when we're praying for people and God, which he often does, doesn't always, but when he heals that person and we're praying over that person, do you know what's happening there? God, the Holy Spirit just showed up. That's amazing. Somebody receives a prophetic word, God, the Holy Spirit showed up. Someone is given an encouragement, God, the Holy Spirit showed up, Right? And and this leads to a couple of implications that I think are really, really important. And I want to say this as humbly and graciously as I can. I'm not trying to pick a fight. I I, I really do want to say this as humbly as I can. But in a very real way, for you to resist the gifts of the Holy Spirit, for you to reject the gifts of the Holy Spirit, even if you don't intend to do this, even if you're well-meaning, is in a real way to resist or reject God himself. It's to say, God, in this way, I don't want your presence here. In this way, I would like to resist your manifestation. And we need to be careful that we create an environment in which God himself wants to be around, right? Now, that leads to the second thing. Some of you are wondering, yeah, but God, the Holy Spirit's God. Therefore, he's omnipresent. So it's silly to talk about God showing up because God is always there, isn't he? I mean, he's omnipresent. He's in all places at all times. Why are we using this phrase? And I've even had people come up after we'll sing a song, come Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. And we're like, why are we inviting God when God's already here? This is stupid. It's a stupid song. Well, let me, have, let me say two things to that. The first is in a very real sense, God is here through his Holy Spirit. Always, and all times, In all places. We read this in Psalm 139. It says, Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. And if I make my bed in Sheol, the place of the dead, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. Is God here right now? Yes, friends, he is. We don't have to convince God to show up to church because God is here. He's in our very midst. And in a very real way, we need to become more aware of and more attuned to the actual presence of God wherever we go. That when I get up in the morning, God is there. And when I open up my car door and drive to work, God is there. And when I get home and lay my head down at my pillow and in my high moments and in my low moments and even in the middle of me running after sin, God is there. We need to become more aware of his presence, don't we? But in another sense, friends, there is a important biblical concept of the manifest presence of God. And we don't want to lose this, that you see this all throughout the storyline of Scripture. God is present in the Garden of Eden in ways that he's not present outside of the Garden of Eden. His presence to bless and to manifest his love and favor and grace on his people is in the Garden. And when Adam and Eve get kicked out of the Garden, in a sense, they're getting kicked out of the presence of God. Uh, You think about the Ark of the Covenant or the tabernacle or the temple. Yes, God is everywhere at all times, but his presence is uniquely there in this place called the temple, where if you get, you know, 15 feet into the temple, you're now closer to the manifest, tangible presence of God to bless and be with his people than you were if you're outside of the tabernacle or the temple, and on and on and on. We see this in Acts chapter two, when the presence of God moves from places now to people where the Holy Spirit's being poured out on the church, and you say, well, how's the Holy Spirit being poured out if he's already here? There's a sense in which his presence to bless is manifested in the church and getting poured out on them, right? And on and on, we see this happening again and again through the book of Acts. And so, friends, yes, The Spirit of God is here, but in another sense, we should pray eagerly and sing that song, come Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. Like, you're actually wanted here, you're longed for here. We want your manifest presence to show up in our midst so that these gifts would happen, so that things would occur that otherwise, in our own human strength, we could not do in our own power. And that leads me to the fifth thing that I want you to see, which is this, spiritual gifts are given for the common good. They're given for the common good. Look again at verse seven. It says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. Why? For the common good. Who's common good? He, he's giving these gifts, these manifestations of the Spirit for the good of the church, first and foremost, and then likewise, therefore, for the good of the world. That as the church serves and loves and cares for and ministers to herself, we're actually serving and loving and ministering to the world as the body of Christ that God has placed on this earth. And this is a big deal, again, especially for our cultural moment, because what's happened in our cultural moment is that we've stopped to see institutions like church, business, job, school, marriage these different institutions that we have in our society we no longer see institutions as molds do you know what i mean by molds like you you get into this institution and it shapes you and changes you and forms you which is what all good institutions are designed to do and now what we do is we've we've stripped that and we see institutions as platforms for my brand this is no longer something that i give myself to to be changed to be different to be adjusted to be edited but now like I go to this marriage for my brand I go to this school for my brand I go to this job for my brand I do this for my own personal platform and I just want to say that's not what the gifts of the holy spirit were, were given to the church for God doesn't care about your brand the only brand that he cares about is the name of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God that's the only brand that there is in the church and so th- these gifts are given for the good of other people and what this means is that you have to stop obsessing of like, is the church using my gifts and mom blah, 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 No, no, this is for the benefit of other people. This is for the gift of other people. And what should be foremost in your mind is not are you using your gifts for your personal brand, but am I using these gifts for the good and edification and upbuilding of the church of Jesus? That's why he gave the gifts. And that leads me to the sixth and final thing I want you to see. And some of you really need to hear this. Abuse does not warrant neglect. Abuse of spiritual gifts does not warrant the neglect of spiritual gifts. I'm gonna skip ahead to chapter 14, verse 1. It says this it says, Pursue love. We'll talk a lot about that. And earnestly desire the spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I did a lot of work around this word, earnestly desire. Uh, dug in, read a lot of commentaries, and so you'll be shocked to know that this phrase, earnestly desire, actually means earnestly desire. (laughs) That's what it means. It's a great translation. What it means is literally be zealous for, strive after, strongly desire, be jealous about, passionately seek, make much of. The phrase earnestly desire these things is in your Bibles, and it's saying, yeah, these things, long for them, want them. Now remember again, who is Paul writing to? The Corinthian church, who people are praying in tongues and feeling puffed up and arrogant and proud and superior to other Christians, and there's disorder and chaos in the church. If I'm writing to this church, my letter would sound something like, stop, no more. You're not allowed to use the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Sit down and chill out and let someone who is more mature use these gifts. Paul doesn't do that. Paul writes to this church and he urges them on and their desire. And I just want to say, just because something's been abused does not give us the right to throw it out, especially if it's a good gift that God has given. People abuse all kinds of really good things. Hey, do you know the, the, the most abused spiritual gift in church history? And, and I don't think you'll disagree with this. The most abused gift in all of church history, you know what it is? It's the gift of teaching. It's what I'm doing right now. It's caused more Havoc and damage and dysfunction and destruction. It's caused people to blow up their lives. People have been led astray, taught weird stuff. The gift of teaching is the most abused gift in church history. And no, no Christian that I know, no Christian, would say, yeah, we should throw out the gift of teaching. No, let's redeem it and let's do it the way that God intended it. Let's desire it because this is a gift that God has given. So where do we go from here? I want to quote A.W. Tozer, who says, if the Holy Spirit was withdrawn from the church today, 95% of what we do would go on, and no one would know the difference. If the Holy Spirit had been withdrawn from the New Testament church, 95% of what they did would stop, and everybody would know the difference. Friends, as one of your pastors, I want to invite you and ask you to help us Become a church that is hospitable to God. Do you know what I mean by that? A church that's hospitable to God? Like, we, we work really hard to be a hospitable presence to people that are far from God, to guests that haven't been in church in a long time. Every, everything from our parking lot all the way in, except for when there are geese attacking people as they come in. Um, we, we do our best to create an environment where you feel welcomed and it's a safe place for you to wrestle with the claims of Jesus. Right? Right? But friends, like more important than any of that, we should be a church that's a hospitable, welcoming environment for God. That through our holiness and through our faith and our expectancy and our earnest desiring of his presence and his work in our church, friends, what would it look like for us to cultivate over the next nine weeks a church that God is excited about showing up at? where he knows that he's welcomed and wanted and longed for, and we're like, yes, please, whatever you want to do, this is your church, show up here. That's what I want to invite you into. And this is going to require some of you to do some work that you've not done, uh, maybe stretch into some risk and some uncomfortableness. I want to invite you to visit frontlinechurch.com slash spiritfilled, and there you will find some theological and practical resources that will help you go further, books, articles, blogs, Podcast stuff that is really practical and helpful for growing in these areas, if that's what you need to do. But let's, let's cultivate a church that's hospitable for God. Amen? The last thing is this. Let's ask our Father in heaven for more. Jesus said this. Jesus said this in Luke 11. He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I wanna invite you to stand with me. And we're just gonna ask for more of the Holy Spirit today, in this moment, and over the next nine weeks. And let's remember, friends, that we have a father who did not just give us the Holy Spirit, but he gave us his only son. His body was broken on a cross. His blood was shed for our forgiveness. Jesus has reconciled us back to the father. And instead of just placing us some corner and saying, sit there and don't do anything. He's invited us to play and to be a part of his ministry and his mission and his kingdom on earth. If you're far from God today, you're being invited into the kingdom of God. Jesus is your king. You're being invited to bow the knee to him, to reorient your life around him, to follow him, to obey him. You're being invited into that, and we can talk more about that. If you're not a follower of Jesus then we're going to ask you to abstain from this meal, from the body and blood of Jesus. This is a meal for baptized followers of Jesus only. It's not weird for you to abstain. It'd actually be weird for you to take it. So continue to be around, but know that you're being invited into the kingdom of God. But if you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to come and grab the bread and grab the cup and just pray, Father, would you give me more of your Holy Spirit? Give me more of your Holy Spirit as I eat this meal. Would you, in a very real way, manifest your Holy Spirit in my life? We've had stories of people that have been addicted and taken communion and been set free of their addiction. Sometimes people are sick or healed. Sometimes people who are overwhelmed with discouragement just have an overwhelming sense of peace and the love of God. Hey, I I know that you need God in your life in different ways. God is offering his Spirit to you today. So come and receive his love and just pray, Holy Spirit, fill me in a fresh way. So you can grab this and get in groups and take it and then we will send you out with a blessing here in just a minute. You're invited to come now.